Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. I know when I'm shipping out my Dave LaGreca guy and Dave LaGreca girl t-shirts, I know, Bully, you're going to say something about my lack of funza. Well, I suffer from lack of funza, so I got to worry about things like cost. So that's why I use ShipStation.com. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Busted Open listeners can get ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code BUSTED. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BUSTED. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BUSTED. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I talk AEW and NXT, but in a different way. We talk about a video package of Johnny Gargano from NXT and a video package of Cody Rhodes from AEW. We compare the two and talk about which one we thought got that emotional investment. Also, we sit down with Hornswoggle. He has a new book out. He has some amazing stories about Tommy Dreamer you do not want to miss. And we also talk to new IWGP United States Champion Lance Archer. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Mention about the video packages last night. NXT had one on Johnny Gargano. Obviously, AEW had one on Cody Rhodes is going to be challenging for the AEW championship at full gear. What did you think about the packages last night? Uh, I thought they were both awesome vignettes. I really, really enjoyed them because they were both designed to get the individuals over. So I thought both NXT did a great job with Gargano and AEW did a great job with Cody but one resonated with me more than the other. But before I tell you which one resonated with me more, I want to ask you your opinion, because I want to get the Uber fan's opinion. Which one did you like better and why? I loved both. 
you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, NXT does a wonderful job. If you've watched them on the WWE Network, they did, uh, when it, especially when it comes to Johnny Gargano, they do a great job with their video packages, how, how much he means to the company, how much he means to NXT, and how much he means to be in that main event picture and have that championship. And I think they did that last night. Though I will say this, it felt like when I was watching the Johnny Gargano package, it felt like I've seen that one before. It almost felt like it was a repeat of one that I have seen previously. When it came to Cody, I really liked that because it makes a lot of sense. Especially when JR was talking about Cody and how Cody wears many hats going into that main event match at full gear. And you said something that is going to lead me down the road of why I liked Cody's better. Both of them excellent. But in the Gargano vignette, who was doing all the talking and putting Johnny Gargano over? Johnny Gargano. In the Cody vignette, who was doing all the talking and putting Cody over? Well, Cody wasn't doing much talking at all. Everybody else (laughs) was. You had JR, you had DDP, you had MJF, and most importantly, you had Cody's mom, which is like the golden goose. When I hear Cody's mom talking about Cody, now I am sucked in because I'm getting something that... We know that Cody's mom is a part of wrestling history, but not somebody that's ever been used on screen before, correct? Correct. This is, this is Dusty Rhodes' wife. This is the mother of Cody Rhodes. And now she's telling me how important this championship is. It is impossible not to be reeled in by that. It's impossible to not hear from the older folks and the younger folks. It's impossible to not hear from JR and Cody's mom. And it's impossible to not hear from MJF and Brandy. The older folks and the younger folks. Both saying the same thing. This is everything to Cody. So when you hear everybody else talking about Cody, he immediately becomes the sympathetic baby face that you want to see win. Gargano, I loved it, but I hear Johnny talking about Johnny. And even though it works on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 9, Cody's was a 10. Yes, and it's so funny because everything you're saying is correct. What really grabbed me about Cody's promo, and a lot of married men probably know where I'm coming from on this one, is how it started. You see Cody sitting in the kitchen, and you can tell he's in deep thought. Brandy Rhodes comes in, and she's got the honeydew list. You know, everything that they have to do today, all the important meetings, and do you want me to be here? And and Cody doesn't want to hear it. He knows it's important. He knows it's important to Brandy. He's not trying to be rude to his wife, but you could tell he's thinking about that match with Chris Jericho. So even as important as AEW and all the behind scenes and the business stuff, how important it is to him, at the heart of hearts, he's a wrestler, and he's trying to be focused on that match, and you actually heard it. She's talking, and he hears what she's saying, and then it all fizzles out. And now it's just her mouth moving, and he can't hear the words that are coming out of her mouth because he's focused on that match. And he kind of just says, whatever, because he doesn't care at that point because the wrestler in him him only cares about that match. 
And those are the very valid points that made the Cody promo uh, more intriguing and interesting to us. I felt the need to tweet about it last night. I only put stuff up there on social media that really resonate with me. And last night I said, that is how you do it. That's how you make people care. That's how you get people emotionally invested. Dave, how's this? I've been wrestling for 28 years. I've seen everything there is to see. At the end of the promo, I felt myself going, wow, I want to see Cody beat Chris. Why am I saying that? I'm in on the trick. But here I am. I watch it. I was like, wow, man, I want this kid to win. And I wanted to. Here's the big difference. At All In, I wanted to see Cody win for Dusty. Yep. At full gear, and because of that that vignette I saw last night, I want to see Cody win for Cody. And this is why I believe Cody no longer uses the Rhodes name, despite the fact that he's allowed to use the Rhodes name. As long as he's been as long as he is still called Cody Rhodes, we will always think of Dusty first. Cody wants to just be Cody. He's trying very hard to get out of Dusty's shadow. Not because he uh, doesn't want to be there, but it's, it's his time to be his own person. Like, we speak very highly of Dusty in the wrestling business. It's a Dusty finish. It's a Dusty promo. Cody wants to be known 20, 30, 40 years from now as just Cody, the way Dusty is just known as Dusty. Until and and maybe one day he'll be comfortable enough where he can put that Rhodes back, that Rhodes name back at the end of Cody. We saw it with Charlotte. Charlotte comes up, she's Charlotte Flair. Then she wanted to get away from her father a little bit, wanted to make her own name, wanted people to respect her because what she could do in that ring. And she did. And then she felt comfortable enough to put the Flair name back at the end of Charlotte. So now she's Charlotte Flair. But you know what? When I see Charlotte Flair, I don't automatically think of Ric Flair anymore. And, and here's the crazy thing. The other night, I found myself getting so pissed off when I saw the draft, when Charlotte got picked. You know, the, you know the, they put the picture up of her, and then they, they, they gave you her accomplishments. And it was like, you know, uh, whatever it was, 10 times women champion, you, mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, incredible athlete. And then the last one was daughter of Ric Flair. I, I know she's the daughter of Ric Flair. I don't need to see that anymore. I, 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 enough with the daughter of Ric Flair. Yep. Don't remind me. Don't put her back in the shadow when she has done such a great job of breaking free of the shadow. Same thing with Cody. Cody is not being disrespectful to his family name, but he probably saw his brother live it all his life. Dustin will always be compared to dad. Dustin was always compared to Dusty. I have to be Cody. I have to be my own man, my own character, my own wrestler, my own professional, my own businessman, because that's exactly what my father was. And I wish, and and listen, the Cody uh, vignette, the package was fantastic. The Gargano one was good too. Like you said, one's a nine and one's a 10. One's One's an A plus and one's an A. I wish they would do more of what we saw last night on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. Because if they were able to do that, and I know they do those 24-7s and they do those mini documentaries on the WWE Network. But you know, Bully, that's a, people who subscribe to the network are only a fraction of the people who watch SmackDown on Fridays and watch Monday Night Raw on Mondays. 
man, those vignettes, if they were used those packages the right way on those two shows, maybe we would be more invested in the personalities we're seeing on Mondays and Fridays. Uh, AEW is doing a great job getting me invested in talents that I never knew about or talents that I do know about but want to know more. So I'm watching the Cody vignette last night, Dave, and the first thing that came to my mind was, wow, he was able to do more with three minutes of vignette time on AEW than the WWE was able to do in 10 years. Have you ever seen Cody more over than he was in that vignette last night? No. That vignette, uh, you know, the, 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 the vignettes leading up to All In, they were great. The vignettes leading up to his match against Dustin, all great. Last night, the, the icing on the cake for me last night was Cody's mom. I've never seen from her. I've never really heard from her. And when I do, I'm like, whoa. there's du-. See, but the first thing I'm thinking is, there's Dusty's wife. There's Cody's mom. She is now telling me how important it is to her son. How can I not feel it's important to him too? And when you have Jericho now running down the family name, could you imagine when mom is sitting in the front row and Jericho steps up to mom and starts to run down Dusty in front of mom? Imagine what that moment is going to feel like. I have a feeling this is going to be the story leading to that match. And the one day when Cody wins that championship, that's when you're going to get to the next level. That's where you can say, you know, no longer is this the son of Dusty Rhodes. It's going to be like you said, Cody. Support for Busted Open comes from Manscaped, who's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And let me tell you something. This is long before Violetta. I was about to go out on a date, did a little of my own manscaping with a scissor. And listen, there's nothing worse when you're about to go on a date and you got bloody balls. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Manscaping accents are finally a thing of the past. Now they tell me. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. I mean, who would do that anyway? The fact that I even have to remind our listener, the Busted Open Nation's too smart to put what they had on their balls on their face. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Your balls! Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BUSTEDOPEN at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUSTEDOPEN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUSTEDOPEN. Dylan Postal Hornswoggle joining us live in studio. How are you today? Very good. I, I'm, I'm glad you're here, uh, <laughs> and I'm glad Bubba isn't in studio. But Why? Because you always bully me. I do not bully you, you are. and you are a shoot bully, and the entire <laughs> wrestling business knows it. You always Especially bully me. 
You always bully instant, me every time. Instant bully. Just add alcohol. That's you. <laughs> and you know it. Well, that that's I can't deny that, but that's uh, that's because I'm overserved, of course. <laughs> Let me ask you because you're doing the show with Bully. Bully not in studio, as you said yesterday. Tommy Dreamer did the show. He was in studio. So which one would you prefer? Dreamer, because I know for a fact he would somehow hurt himself just walking over and saying hello to me. <laughs> I, 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 text, or I texted him yesterday. I go, do you have my green room ready and did you get my rider list? Because he, a couple weeks ago he goes, so you have a PR person that set this up. You have a publicist? I said, yeah, I'm an author now. And so he just to, just to wind him up, and then of course he has to throw out that he's a podcaster because he knows that. He, just but irritates. he has no idea how to listen to it. No, and he probably has no idea how to actually record or any of it. Someone actually definitely sets it up. For oh, him. there's no. He doesn't know how to listen to a podcast, and he's also a man that never had a banana up until a week ago. I have a hard time with that because he definitely has had like a a chocolate covered or a deep fried banana for sure. <laughs> Or like yeah, but banana. I mean, look at him. Do you think he's ever not ate something? Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I was gonna bring a kiwi in today just to ha like see him try to eat it, and he, it it would have blown my mind. Never had a kiwi. Never had an orange. Never had an apricot. Never had an apple. Never had. But then on the other side, never had a Big Mac or a Whopper. Yeah. So, okay. That that's hard. yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's I, I don't I don't believe that at all. Ass looks like a Big Mac. Oh, will you stop? Will you stop? Why do you do that? You guys are such oh, good stop friends. stop it, Dave. You guys stop are such it, good Dave. friends. He's very hurt yeah. by that. Blah, he told me yesterday. Blah, blah, very hurt blah. by that. All right, so since we have you, yes. so and you mentioned Tommy in the book. You have a picture of you and Tommy in the book. Can you share a Tommy Dreamer story with us? Uh, <laughs> it is satellite radio, as you know. So I, I, probably no probably the, 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 the one that stands out most is how on tour we would start playing Tommy Ball. Um where he would, he would dangle his nuts over a bench or over a table. He would sit on a table and the table wouldn't break. Uh, but he would do that and would throw a tennis ball at his nutsack. And I don't know why this started, but it was by the end of the tour, one tour, it was we had shirts, tour T-shirts made for Tommy Ball. And it was a lock, like there was a line out of the locker room because people, everyone would get a chance and... If you zinged it at his nutsack, you would immediately get the boot from the league. And Swagger got the boot from the league real quick because the first time he just zinged it, fast-pitched it at his nuts. Uh, and then, So the idea wasn't to hurt him. It was just to ding him in the nuts. It was just to get a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, the thought of him laying on the table with his nuts hanging out makes me laugh. He And then there was this one where it had like an like a shelf. On top of the lock, like the lockers, they had the shelf above, like a wooden shelf, so he could sit on there. And he was like six feet off the ground, and his nuts were just hanging through the slats of this Ooh. shelf, mm -hmm. painting a pretty picture, I know. And have some troopy nuts for that. Yeah, it's him. Well, he... <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> and the last people to always go were Edge and Kane, because if no one hit, they'd always be able to hit him first try. And we always wanted, like, we could never end it on Tommy's nuts not getting hit. Otherwise, it was a bad day at the office. So it was, it was that's probably like, the, but it just, I talk about it, it just shows like he doesn't care about hurting himself to pop the boys. He's just going to pop the that's, boys. Like, you that's, you know, that's just him. You know what, Bully, that's, that's a team player right there, Bully. Yeah. That's what, that's what happens when you want everybody to like you. 
<laughs> and you call me chasing the hug. Uh, again, I mentioned the book, Life is Short and So Am I. What motivated you to write the book? I always thought I had a, a decent story uh, or at least a, a different one um, than most. So I always thought about doing one and then I just got lazy and didn't do it myself. So then after I got released, um, Ian Douglas reached out to me and we st- we did the first draft and then we got Ross Owen Williams on board and did the final draft and we were off to the races. It was it's pretty cool like to to see it actually like to have it done and out is insane to me. It's a one of those I, bucket list I, things that I never thought I would check off. I, I'm sure <clears throat> your your tenure your career in the WWE has uh takes up a large portion of the book, would I be correct? Uh it's actually probably about 50-50. Um Okay. Yeah, I, I and I because I wanted that, I wanted the the WWE fans. I wanted, you know, because and I can use this word because it makes me money. I would midget reality shows are hot, and they've always been, and so I wanted like that weird audience. I wanted the single dad audience. I wanted just everything to kind of come into one for the book, and I, I think we did it because it it two paragraphs will be wrestling and then I'll go into real life and then midget stuff and then real life. It's just, it hops around, but it all is, it's not outlined. It's not an outline. You know, you can't, you can't just Wikipedia me and there's the book, which well, is good. And that's, and how that's deep, oh, go ahead, Bully. I'm sorry. How deep into your WWE career do you get Dylan? You know, uh, they don't, they, they gave me, let's be honest. I shouldn't have had a job there. You know, I'm not the six foot, 250 pound, at least six foot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that their their target higher, but it's all I wanted to do my whole life. So to be able to do that, um, and then for ten years, I shouldn't really be able to say too many bad things about it about there. And they treated me pretty well. Um, so I, I I think it's one one of the first books that's not this bitter bitter veteran kind of mm-hmm. tone to it um and it's not this dirt book because i didn't i, I don't it's, i, I want to tell my story not about who's banging who yeah totally agree with you on that one you know you mentioned about you get deep and making that connection what connected me with your book right away because you talk about divorce and you know, being, uh, you know, you talked about your father mm-hmm. and I went through the same thing. I was divorced. I fought for custody of my daughter and I was a single dad, which is like the toughest job in the world yeah. being a single dad. What was that like for you? And how did that kind of like really get you ready for the rest of your life? Uh, my childhood, <clears throat> pardon me, with my mom was very odd. Um, she didn't, it was almost like I was a... Uh, like a billboard for her. Like, mm-hmm. hey, look at, you know, I have a midget kid. Look at me. He just, she would go to the school and have him lower a swing for me or, you know, lower a, a drinking fountain and that kind of stuff. And I, at the time as a kid, even it was, it was very weird to me even. And then uh, she got, she the bottle, she got addicted to the bottle. And, <clears throat> pardon me. And then she, her and my dad divorced. She got, I haven't talked to her now for 25 years, my real mom. Wow. And haven't seen her in 23. But my stepmom really, st- I mean, she she stepped, She I call her mom. Mother's Day, I call her mom. I, I, I wish her a happy Mother's Day. And she's my mom. That's, that's, that's who I know. And then my dad was always just so, 
all right, I'm not going to let anything with the divorce affect him. I'm just going to raise him and do the best I can. He he would work two jobs. He would just literally want to raise me the best he could. And now with my son, I always have it. <clears throat> sorry, I always have it in the back of my mind where it's all right. If I'm having an issue or don't know, my dad's a phone call away in two minutes from my house. I live in a small town, so I was just I always go to him and hey, what would you do here? And I always think about that in the back of my mind. Dylan, you mentioned um, how you your spot in WWE, you, you know, just happened to, you know, happen for you. You know, in wrestling, they say, you know, when one door closes for somebody, it opens for the other. How did you get your spot? What was that? When was that moment your phone rang or you were chosen for your spot for those people who don't know? So uh, in 2006, they were looking for a midget for Finley. Um, they tried out a few of them. And then Ken Anderson, who trained me, um, called or put his name out there for me and said, I got the guy. I got a guy. He can bump. He has a good attitude. This is going to be the guy. They called me up. Dreamer called me up, actually. Uh, I ignored his phone calls because it was a blocked number from the office. And at the time, I thought it was a credit card company wanting their money. And so I wasn't going to be, I didn't have the money to pay him. So I just kept ignoring it. And I had my tryout. They asked me to do a Irish accent and it went horribly. And I thought, okay, I'm never going to get the call again. A week later, after now hearing that Ken went to bat for me even more, like, hey, this is the guy. Um, Dreamer kept calling me again. And finally I answered, Dylan, we're trying to give you a lot of money. Why are you ignoring me? (laughs) <laughs> we want to sign you under contract. Please pick up and call me back. And it was like, I thought someone was messing with me because this shouldn't, again, this shouldn't happen. Um, but it, yeah, it was off to the races in May of 2006. How how yeah. old were you when, when this happened? I, two days before my 20th birthday. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, isn't it, uh, is the story true that the whole Vince's son storyline was supposed to go to Ken, but it didn't work out and it wound up going to you? Because that would be an insane twist of fate. Yeah, that's crazy to me that that happened. Um, I, I, the guy I, that the guy that the guy that vouched for you, the guy that trained you, the guy that brought you in, and the guy that was supposed to be in one of the biggest money angles, it didn't happen for him, and then it went to you. Did that affect your personal relationship with him? No, we've always had a good relationship. Um, the I know a cool thing with that too is. Um, I had my first WrestleMania moment with Ken, you know, taking his finish off the ladder that time. Right. And uh, he, so all these things, I had had so many moments and thankful moments with Ken in my whole career, which has been awesome. But then I, I I mean, I asked him, hey, is this supposed to be you? And he went, no, no, no. But then like years later, yeah, yeah, it was. But I, it was, the reveal was in Green Bay, which was amazing because it's like my, and we always are, are wrestling hometowns. They don't really run TV in Oshkosh, Wisconsin very much. So, um, Sheboygan. Yeah, that too. Uh, Sheboygan. <laughs> but they, it was just, it was all, all the pieces fit that day. And it was, it was the coolest thing ever. I was working weekly with the most powerful man in wrestling history. You know, it was, it was awesome. Uh, the name Wild Man, that was given to you by, uh, you know, who some and most people consider the greatest of all time. Talk about the, the name Wild Man. Ric Flair would always call me that, I think, because he thought I was Sky Lolo. Wild Man. Uh, yeah. And he would just, he would walk up to me in the hallway and just, Wild Man. And 
he would always tell whatever female was around about the size or the thought of the size of my hog. <laughs> and hog. I, yeah, and I would just go, and I, I would just look at him and just nod my head and thank you, and I don't know how to respond to the fact that you're telling this random female about my penis that you've never seen. Again. <laughs> Did it work? Did it work? No! Because oh. I was just like, I was, I didn't know what to say. And, and it was just, it was crazy to me that Ric Flair, of all people, is talking like this about me. And, I mean, you got to go with that. Though. Oh, I did 100%. Oh, okay, good. But it never worked out. False I, advertising? I, I, probably. <laughs> you can't hit a home run unless you take a swing. I should have sworn. That's right. That's right. Uh, it, but it was, it was, man, it just, it was fun. It was, it was always for him to, for him to, again, I'm positive he thought I was the Haiti kid or Tiger Jackson. <laughs> Hey, what was it like for you? You said you got to work alongside the most powerful man in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you working with Vince McMahon? Not working for, working with. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the great Kali there. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Working with, you said? Yes. He is a perfectionist. And I talk about it in the book where he, like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't stop shooting a backstage until it went exactly how he wanted. And it was, it was just, he has his vision of how he wants this shot and it's going to be shot that exact way. But what about like uh, interacting with him in between shots I, or just getting along with him on a personal level, uh, you know, uh, genuinely enjoying each other's company or maybe you couldn't stand each other. <laughs> I wish I would have randomly between shots asked him questions about, you know, random stuff, brought up a topic, and then, hey, how about this? But I was so intimidated always because I'm a 22-year-old yeah. kid, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants and loving it. So I didn't I didn't ask enough when I really – it's one of my regrets that I'll always kind of have is, man, I should have asked him about, you know, warrior stuff or about, you know, the WrestleMania 6 or just random random things just to just to pick his brain. You you would have got more over with him if you just would have uh, walked by him and dinged him in the nuts. Uh, yes, he, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I that now they bring that up. Probably that would have, that would have, I would have been main event uh-huh. for years. Uh-huh. That's a good one. The now. midget hit me in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> the balls That's on ex- him to do that. Exactly what he would have said. He but yet we could not use the term midget on TV. He hated it. Michael Cole said it. Once on commentary, like the first week, or say one of the one of the first weeks, and they they edited it out because he that's crass. You just had a person have sex with a dead body, <laughs> but the word midget that's too fucking far. That's <laughs> um, you're a lifelong wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you 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 practically since you could you can walk and talk you've been watching pro wrestling so what was it like then working in it and not and not and on a high level like you said before the age of 20 you're you're in the back you're seeing the undertaker you're doing working with vince mcmahon i mean did you take an opportunity to kind of like say wow i can't believe i'm actually doing this not really because i was i mean i, I was thrown into the fire immediately i was I, I i didn't go through the developmental system i didn't have to try out I didn't, you know, I didn't have to cut my teeth, so to speak. I was on TV the first week, and then for two weeks under 10 years, like, I was, that was just my job. And so I didn't get the, 
the time to sit back and you know pinch myself as they say um and working with fit was the best man he he's such an underrated kind of never talked about talent and mind in wrestling um I, I wish i wish he was put on more of a pedestal than he is he saved he saved the women's division i will go on record and say that you know when they were having when they went from bikini matches and and so he to tell to explain how yeah, he was able so to he do that. he went from you know when they were having bikini matches and pillow fights he kind of stepped up and said why don't we have him wrestle and he would work with the trishes and the Lita's and the jazzes and all them and they were pulling off these killer matches and he was the leader of the women's division then like wow. he he was in charge of them and i'm pretty positive any of the girls will say that as well like he still does. He still looks out for the girls so much, and it's it's just he doesn't get enough credit in my mind. Well, he he looks out for the girls so much that you saw the position that they put him in when Becky Lynch lost to Oscar at the Rumble, but then it was Fit that came out and put her in the Rumble. So that's how highly they think of him yeah. in the women's division that they figured it crossed over and enough people knew, and that's why they used him for that spot. And I agree with you. Fit is definitely an unsung hero in wrestling and for the women's division in the WWE. Was it tough for you to say goodbye to that world? I mean, like a traveling circus. How tough was it to separate from it? It's not really tough when they fire you. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to. Um, did, they get, did they give you a reason? Uh, they were doing a lot of a lot of cuts that day. It was one of the mass cuts, and um, it, it, you know what? It was it was tough for the only fact of. I mean, I was home at that point. I was home for a year and a half off TV, just like collecting a check and I hated it but also you can only pitch and pitch and pitch and pitch before you give up and that's what I started happening so I knew it was coming I knew my release was coming at some point um but when you knowing it's coming and getting the call are two completely different yeah. things and then when I have my at that time six or seven year old son it's like shit what am I going to do to provide for him I knew independent wrestling was going to be great from like I, I could do it first person I called was Kurt Hawkins. He's been a best friend of mine. Um, writes a forward in the book. Writes a forward. Him and him and former now former champion Kofi Kingston writing forwards for my books. Uh, but Hawkins, I, I said, hey, uh, I got the call. He goes, all right, stop crying. Give me an hour. And 23, wow. 23 minutes later, he had me 13 dates on the Indies. Wow. And it was, I said, man, I, and it's one of those things like that's, that's a friend. Like that's a dreamer. Dreamer reached out right away and put me on everything when he could and it's just it's just stuff like that that I knew I knew at that point it was going to be okay um it sucks but like like Bubba said one door closes another opens and now it's having fun I you know I I in the book I never bury WWE and because again I have no reason to they gave me 10 years of living my dream that again shouldn't have really happened and they could bring you back at any time that they wanted to do something, and you know you're going to get a pop because that WWE Universe loved your character over there. It was entirely too entertaining. Um, I was just talking with Dave earlier on, and I said that segment that you did where where you know Trips and Shawn Michaels went underneath the ring to find you, and they found your entire universe. To me, that was—I mean—that sticks out in my mind as one of the most entertaining things I ever saw. And you were the foundation of that. So I hope you have really fond memories 
stories and feel and are proud of yourself for the the level of entertainment you were able to bring everybody. And that's as much as I'm ever going to put you over. Wow. So enjoy that moment. Can someone get a recording of that, please? Thank you. It's uh, being recorded. It's on national. You. you know, awesome, <laughs> awesome. Hey, do you keep up with uh, the wrestling world right now, all yeah. over the place, outside yeah. WWE, everything? I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. I have been since I was four years old, and I can't. You know, <clears throat> we all get kind of. We call it bitter or something at at times um, to wrestling and and the business. But we're all wrestling fans. Otherwise, we wouldn't do this or we wouldn't even talk about or care. So I watch it every week. And my son is a fanatic. And it's it's scary. So what do you find yourself gravitating towards right now? What is your favorite product? What is your son's favorite product? So we went to StarCast um, in Chicago. And Landon, my son, didn't kind of get why we were going. I said, yeah, it's a big signing. And then we get into the hotel, and it's it was almost like the hotel was almost done how re- they do WrestleMania hotels where it's just blasted, AEW, all over this hotel. And he asks, he goes, is this, is this the thing that Jericho went to? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, okay. And he saw Pentagon and Phoenix on a post. He goes, well, I like their masks. They're cool. And he heard of the Young Bucks because I've talked about them in the past. And so after the, the two days of signing, he goes, can we order the show? When we get home, can we order the show, the pay-per-view? <clears throat> so, of course, I was going to anyways, and we, uh, we we watched the whole thing. He loves Luchasaurus, and he loves the Young Bucks. He loves them. And so he, Wednesday nights, he wants to watch AEW. Um, I have literally DV, I DVR and channel flip for it all because the only way I mean I, I I truly feel if you take yourself and not watch or say you don't want to watch or say you're not gonna you don't care about where the business is going you're stuck in one you're stuck in what the business was you don't care to see where it's going you don't you don't you just don't care enough about you have it to evolve yeah the business is going to evolve and it's constantly evolving and the minute it stops is that's going to be the end of the business at that point but it um I'm not torn either way. Uh, it, 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 I couldn't pick. I, I couldn't pick. I know the next year or two years is going to be the most interesting time in wrestling since 97, 98, when Bubba was you know hot in it and he was 40 years old. Um, <laughs> but he, he was, this I is going to be awesome. I would punch you if I was in that studio. This is going to be an awesome time in wrestling. And I think wrestling in general, from WWE to AEW to the independents, it's, it could this has the chance to be a boom I really feel that way um and again the book is life is short and so am I my life inside and outside and under the wrestling ring one thing you mentioned in the book speaking of Tommy explain to our audience Mr Fuji oh Jesus this got out of hand <laughs> this got out of hand real quick so we were on a tour and and again it was always dreamers like way to pass time hug chaser is that what you call Dave yeah, he calls well, me a dog chaser. It's called Dreamer being a human being captain. and liking people. Oh, please stop with that nice guy. Yeah, bully, Dreamer you have to understand, you are a bully. Most Listen, people give people Dylan, a chance, you know, Dylan, talk to them, understand you know where they're this. coming from. Dylan, you know this about me. I am a very nice dude. That guy sitting across from you right now is a shoot bully. He comes on this show. Actually, and I'm he standing pretends. because I'm giving He's reverence to our guest. 
No, you're standing because you're trying to intimidate him. Oh, yeah, right. You could have been sitting down and making him feel more comfortable, but no, you're having to stand over him because you are a bully. Anyway, tell your story. So, <laughs> uh, the nice guy, Tommy Dreamer, he obviously he would always do anything to make the, the boys laugh. Um, so, it was an overseas tour again, and he had baby powder or something in his hand. And he asked Justin Roberts, who is Demolition's manager? And he said, Mr. Fuji. And he threw it in Justin Roberts' face. <laughs> and it evolved from that into we would have salt in our hands and we would have to, whenever said, someone said Mr. Fuji, we would throw it in their eyes. And Dreamer at one point did his entrance. And it went from that to just us, whenever we would yell Mr. Fuji ourselves, just throwing salt in people's eyes. So he did his entrance on a show overseas, gets to the ring, does a Tommy Dreamer pose, and as he does the Tommy Dreamer pose, he throws the salt in Justin Roberts' eyes. <laughs> like that. Just extends his arms and throws the salt in the middle of the ring in his eyes. And it escalated to where at, at the hotel after the, one of the shows and catering, and Dreamer is sitting next to Big Show, and he salts, he Fuji's Big Show. Wow. <laughs> with, but with rice... He didn't even do it with salt. He did it with a handful of rice. Threw it at show. And there is, the show was sweaty. And there's this rice sticking to show's head. <laughs> show stops eating. Gets up from the table. Leaves. Comes back with a fire extinguisher. And fucking blasts him. <laughs> that was the day the Mr. Fuji game ended. Because we realized we had gone too far. That's, go, that's yeah. going too far. Yeah. You don't want to piss off Big Show. And we and go figure. Dreamer is in catering. <laughs> <laughs> do you have to say something when you throw the salt? Do you say Fuji or do you say? Like... Yeah, it started as the other person having to say it, but okay. then it was just be us yelling Mr. Fuji and throwing salt at each other, trying to blind the other person. Did anybody ever get as pissed as Big Show got? No. Like I can't see you, Mr. Fujiing, Fujiing, uh Randy Orton. Well, we, you got to pick your spots. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You got to pick your spots there. You can't. You're not going to walk up to Hunter and hey, Fuji, and just throw fucking salt in his eyes. <laughs> nah, that, that wouldn't have a sense of humor about yeah. that. <laughs> God damn it! The midget threw salt in my eyes and punched me in the dick. <laughs> He's got balls. Ah. World champion, that midget. Well, you were Make a cruiserweight the champion. I was a cruiserweight champion before they switched to a shitty purple belt. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, and, and we gotta let Good you go stuff. because you have a lot going on today. It's a big day for you, big media run for the book. The book is absolutely fantastic. Where can we find the book? Uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, bookstores all over your local bookstores. Because I found out those are still a thing, which is they, crazy to me. Uh, Amazon, Amazon, you can order it on there uh, or ecwpress.com. The audiobook I just finished last week, so that should be out for Bully since he. I don't know if he will get through the book. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I, I think Velvet could read it to yeah, him. Yeah, to him. Like a, like, a, like a bedtime story. A nice bedtime story with a cup of milk. <laughs> there's, Taken from Dreamer's bosom. <laughs> there's, there's Bully David coming out, by the way, for the first time all day. Uh, yeah, just pick it up and let me know what you think. I would uh, I would really appreciate that. I was going to say, you can either go to Amazon.com, go to Barnes & Noble, or host a pro wrestling show like me and get it for free. There we go. You know or what I'm saying? Any independent show in, that I'm at in you know Paducah, Kentucky, yes. or, or yeah.
So it's Paducah, uh, thank Sheboygan, you. and Bangor, Maine. Bangor, Bangor, Maine. Yep. Are you still doing the promoting too? <laughs> I'm promoting, yeah, uh, quite a bit. We have our school. It's it's just the schedule is busy and busy, but I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for booking me. <laughs> You're welcome. You wanted too much money, Billy. I'm sorry. I can always be a referee or a ring announcer if you ever need somebody. I'll yeah. I'll. Uh... <laughs> I got snowshoes. I could go to Wisconsin. I don't yeah. have a problem with that. Uh, the famous busted open guy. That's not Mark Henry, Bully, or Tommy. <laughs> I created this shit, Dylan, and I could kick you out. All right. There's Bully David coming yeah, back out again. Your, good luck with your fucking book, Dylan. <laughs> like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Let's talk about the world of wrestling right now. Somebody who we had on the show a few months ago, Bully, and I knew that this was going to be his year, 2019. I knew 2020 on the horizon is going to be even bigger. Friend of the show, Mr. Lance Archer. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing this morning? First of all, congratulations. New IWGP United States champion, man. A lot of people didn't see it coming, but you now have that title around your waist. Talk about it. Thank you, man. I didn't see it coming either. I was flying into a typhoon and didn't know what was going on when I got to Japan. You know, um, like everybody, we all had some crazy travel issues. And I literally landed at 2 p.m. on the day of the show. And the show started at 5 p.m. And didn't find out everything until I got there, what was actually happening as far as the match and all that was concerned. Lance, it seemed like things were going great for you in Japan, and then things kind of tapered off a little bit. But now you're the, you know, the the IWGP US champion. When did things turn around for you out there? I mean, a G1 has to be the biggest turning yeah. point. You know, I mean, th- this business changes on a dime daily. You know, you've been around it, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know, you have your ups and your downs, your goods and your bads. You know, and luckily, I've been a part of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, for eight years and it's been a great run it's been a lot of cool things a lot of awesome experiences uh but you know when KES ended and then I, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen as far as me you know as a singles competitor with New Japan and then the, the G1 opportunity came about and like I said I, I took every chance and and again I just keep saying opportunity the opportunity to change myself in every way that I possibly could to advance myself um, you know, and then the company got behind me and they, I don't even know if they knew what was going to happen. And, you know, the G1, you know, from, from night one all the way through, it just kind of exploded into like, holy crap, what the hell's going on? And even for myself, that was kind of the experience, you know? And so, you know, and again, a time and opportunity came about with the whole situation, Moxley not being able to make it to Japan, them changing the match into a title match between Juice and I, um, and then ultimately capturing the U.S. title. It's just been a whirlwind experience, but it's been a cool one. And, you know, I've worked really hard to get to this point, and now it's time to work even damn harder. Uh, you were in a successful tag team with uh, with uh, Davey Jr., KES. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer being mm-hmm. a tag wrestler, or do you prefer being a singles guy? Right now, I prefer being a singles guy because everything's been really freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go back to October 13th. John Moxley was your champion. He gets stripped of the title because he couldn't get there. He was supposed to be a no disqualification match against Juice Robinson. Then you get the opportunity. I mean, talk about like the start of that day and then leading up to what we saw in the match. Well, like I said, I mean, it, the start of my day was on a 12 and a half hour flight uh, from Minneapolis to Tokyo. 
I'm just, you know, hoping that I was going to land on time, that there's not going to be any delays. And luckily that part came through. And, you know, like I said, literally landed at uh, Tokyo Haneda Airport and somebody picked me up and uh, got a phone call from the office and they informed me of everything that was going on at that moment uh, as I was driving to the building, you know. And it's one of those things where, you know, everything had changed because as far as I knew, I was supposed to be a part of a six-man match, yep. uh, you know, Suzuki Goon versus LIJ. Um, found out that Zach wasn't going to be able to make it to the event either, so I still didn't know what was going to happen as far as what I was going to be doing for the show and whatnot. Like I said, then I got that phone call that, you know, now it's going to be you and Juice in a title match. And so it was changed completely the perspective of what I was going to be doing from my taxi taxi ride from Haneda Airport to Ryugoku Sumo Hall, you know. My mentality changed, the excitement changed, the ideas, you know, what what's going to happen, you know, who's who's doing what and what's going to be the end of the result of the whole situation. And <clears throat> it was nothing but cool and exciting, and I was just ready for the opportunity and ready to kill it, as I'd like to say. Do you, do you panic a little bit? Because like you said, you, your mental mindset is you're going to be part of a six-man tag, and now all of a sudden, right. you know, you're going into a championship match. Is there a moment of, like, a little bit of panic or nervousness? Oh, hell no, no, no. Not not at this point in my career, man. That's just, there's no there's no time to really panic because, you know, if you panic you you falter, you know, if you hesitate you die. It's one of those situations. And then for me, like I said, I just said, Okay, another opportunity, another chance. Let's go out there and prove to the wrestling world that they've been missing out on exactly who I am and what I can be and time to prove myself, you know, even more so and, and keep moving into the future. Even after nineteen years in this business, you know, it's it's been an amazing ride. I've been blessed in so many ways, you know, working with top companies pretty much my entire career. Um, and even if, you know, my legacy ends, you know, with the best part of my career being at the end of it, I'm okay with that because I've worked my ass off to get to this point. I'm just going to keep working hard until I can't do it anymore. Lance, 19 years, as you just said, do you consider this your best opportunity in the wrestling business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had some amazing opportunities. I don't take anything away from what I had in my past, but I think I'm really capitalizing on it. You know, some guys who get very lucky or they're, they're very mature and they figure things out very early on in their careers and they get bigger opportunities earlier on. Um, I had some amazing opportunities through TNA, even my time in WWE, even just to be able to walk out there in the WWE uh, arena and, and be given that time, you know, as an opportunity in itself. But I don't think I was ready to really capitalize on that. And now uh, 19 years in the business, all the things I've learned, all the people I've worked with, um, all the opportunities that have come in front of me, and I just haven't capitalized on them. Now, like I said, you know, starting with that G1, I was like, I am not going to let this pass me by. I'm not going to fail. I'm either going to sink or swim on my own, and I'm damn it, I'm going to swim all the way to the next place to be, you know. I don't want to harp on the past, Lance, but I am uh, yeah. I am curious about something. You had you spent some time in the WWE with your right. size, your stature, your look, your athletic ability. You would seem to be like a guy that was in Vince McMahon's wheelhouse. Did right. you not catch his eye, or what went wrong over there? I, I don't know exactly what went wrong, but like I said, I do put some of that on myself. You know, it was a different time. I think also in, in WWE. You know, that was back when Linda was running for Senate and all those things. There were a lot, a lot of restrictions you know, as far as what you could and more what you couldn't do. Um, you know, and it was just one of those things. Again, you know, I, I went into the WWE <clears throat> off the TNA stuff. Um, 
you know, there was kind of that TNA stink uh, going on to guys that tried to come into the WWE. So I had to get that off of me, which I, I think did well going through the developmental system to kind of get that off of me. Um, you know, and then when I came up on their ECW product, you know, I went from having a complete image. You know, I tell the story all the time that Michael Hayes was the one that brought me up uh, to be a part of ECW. I had long hair, a braided goatee. I had the full, you know, badass biker look going um, in the, the first day, you know, five minutes before the doors open, Vince and them just decided to, you know, they chopped the hair, shaved the face, took the jacket, basically turned me, what I say is the big guy number three, and they were like, go. You know, and, uh, I didn't have the understanding and maturity to make that be successful, you know. So some of that, I, like I said, I do put it on me, and then, I'm, you know, I think it's a kind of give and take there. So um, I think initially with the ECW product, it was a perfect place, uh, even though it was WWE's ECW uh, a perfect place for young talent to kind of get their get their feet wet, kind of figure out the lay of the land, the understanding of how the WWE universe works and whatnot. Um, and then you can transition, you know, probably better into the main products at the time, you know, Raw or SmackDown. Um, and ECW that I was a part of ended about three and a half, four months into that. Um, they started the original NXT product, and I was just kind of put back up on the shelf for about four months until they just kind of randomly threw me out there again with Kurt Hawkins. Um and it was just a situation where, you know, there was just, there was no really drive or direction from them or myself. And so, like I said, I put a lot of that on myself at the time, not being ready and not being mature enough to really capitalize on the opportunities I was given. And now I absolutely am ready. Lance, let's talk about New Japan because a lot of changes okay. with New Japan and obviously, the, you know, moving into the States and doing a lot more in the States. And you're kind of right. the face now holding on to that United States championship. You know, talk about where New Japan is right now. Uh, New Japan is in the best place it's been in the history of the company. You know, they, they uh, uh, titled one of their biggest profits in their, actually the biggest profits uh, in the company's history you know so everything that's going on especially in Japan is providing the company opportunities to expand into the US market even as it competitive as the US market is right now with WWE and the money they've just acquired with the contracts they've got NXT now being on USA network AEW which is just on fire right now with the wrestling world um, you know, New Japan is doing really well. We just did that uh, the uh, East Coast house show tour yep. where we did uh, Boston, uh, New York, and uh, Philadelphia, and all three shows were absolutely amazing. You know, Boston was the only one that was only about 95% sold out. Hammerstein Ballroom sold out. Philadelphia ECW Arena sold out. Fans were on fire, had nothing but a blast. Um, you know, we've got two shows coming up uh, in November in San Jose and Los Angeles again. Um, so I think their business is just doing really, really well. They had a really successful show out in the UK. Um, they've got an amazing relationship still with CMLL down in Mexico. Um, they've done some really good stuff out in Australia. So their expansion is growing. And the money that they're making in Japan right now, the business is doing so well in Japan right now um, that it's providing that opportunity to expand across the globe. Um, you know, this year coming up to Wrestle Kingdom, we have two Wrestle Kingdoms in the Tokyo Dome and then the New Year's Dash show, which they traditionally do at Cork and Hall, which seats about 2,000 people. They've moved into the Oida City uh, Gymnasium or Arena, which I think sits about 6,000 people. And that just shows you the growth that they're gaining, um, even just in Japan. And all that's just going to translate into bigger and better opportunities stateside and across the globe. Lance, being the IWGP U.S. champion is definitely a high point in your career, but I'm sure Absolutely. you have bigger bigger goals in mind. Who's that one person in New Japan that you'd love to work with who you know could help you get to the next level? 
Oh man, that's that's even hard. That's hard as hell to say, man, because there's so many guys that are amazing talents. You know, obviously Okada, who's the champion and is the golden boy of New Japan. Um, Kota Ibushi, who's going to be fighting Okada in in one of the Tokyo Dome matches. Um, who's just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And um, Tanahashi, who is the ace of New Japan, who just, you know, he's the age of wonder. You know, I had an amazing, fun match with him during the G1. Um, all these guys are guys that I would love to be able to step into the ring with in a, in a full program and do something special with. And I think that each and every one of those guys, uh, with their abilities, my abilities, and the, the excitement that we can bring with the differences in styles and whatnot, I think could help elevate myself even to a bigger platform. You know, the U.S. Championship is the biggest singles title that I've ever held in my career. Um, but there are, you know, that you still have the IC title in Japan, and you obviously have the World Heavyweight Championship they have, so the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And both those titles are in my sights. And being able to work with any of those guys, you know, Jay White, who is arguably the, the top gaijin in New Japan Pro Wrestling, he's held all three titles, the U.S., the IC, and the Heavyweight title, as young as he is, and he's on fire. And, I mean, the list goes on and on. If you want to start naming guys that could help me to elevate. Juice Robinson, who I just worked with for this uh, U.S. Uh, championship, beyond phenomenal. If you watch some of his promos after his, his matches and the things that he's able to do in the ring, his timing, his ability, everything that he does. Um, Will Ospreay, oh my goodness, you can't. he transcends every weight class that exists in professional wrestling with his ability and his, his, his performances in, in all levels. So, I mean, the list goes on and on. You talked about Okada and you talked about Tanahashi, two of the standout guys to me uh, in New Japan. Are you an Okada guy or a Tanahashi guy? <laughs> you know, um, I'm a Tana guy, I guess. I've, I've praised him for as long as I've been around New Japan. Like, I've seen him um, be one of those guys. Like, he, he's that top guy, and he can go into any environment and give you that performance that's absolutely needed for that place and that time. Um, I've walked in, I've watched him walk into arenas where he's the absolute number one over babyface in the arena, and nothing he does could be wrong. And they just absolutely love him, and they only you know they just want to see him play the air guitar, and everything's great. And I've also seen him walk into arenas where you know the fan base was a little more on Naito's side or something of that nature, and he was getting a little bit of that heel heat going, and his ability to change how he wrestles mid match. Uh, it's just it's one of those things that's amazing and so much fun to watch because he adds that little bit of a uh, little bit of angst, that little bit of attitude, that little bit of I'm a kick your ass in comparison to I'm just going to do cool stuff that you know he normally does. And so I I think Tanahashi, like I said, he's he's attributed to basically bringing New Japan's business out of the dark ages yep. when business was not good. Um, he's still able to go out there and and compete with the top guys at any level, every level, and everywhere he goes. Um, I'm taking absolutely nothing from Okada because of everything he's been able to do, accomplish his cool, uh, calm demeanor every time he steps in the ring, no matter what match he's a part of. But like you said, if you got to ask that question, Tana or Okada guy, I'm a Tana guy. And, and I believe Tanahashi is the greatest wrestler in New Japan history. So I'm, 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 I'd argue he's one of the greatest wrestlers ever. Yeah, I, I mean, you could have that argument. Top 10, there's no doubt, because, and like you said, what he was able to do for that company when it was at the bottom and raised that back up. And, and again, I, he, he's kind of got that John Cena when it comes to the crowd, where you go to some crowds you see him in front of, they absolutely love him, and then sometimes the crowd is split. Right, absolutely. But that's my point, is that he can go into those crowds that are very hostile, and his 
ways of working in wrestling change just a little bit. And I'm not taking anything away from John. You can't absolute you can't take anything away from John Cena. But I don't believe his style really ever changed. Whereas, like I said, Tana to me can go anywhere at any time and he can be absolute what is needed in that moment. You know, Lance, a lot of conversation today, because we we're obviously talking about NXT and AEW, mm-hmm. and just the, the, the negativity from some wrestling fans on social media. You know, you figure you give them two products that are outstanding on the same night, but yet they argue and they fight. It's such a right. weird time when it comes to social media. You're a little bit different when it comes to social media. You're extremely positive on social media. You're a man of God, and you make that mm-hmm. clear on social media, which mm-hmm. I think is a very positive message for your fans. I mean, how do you, you know, use social media, and what do you think about the current state of social media for wrestling fans? Uh <laughs> Like you said, it's it's one of the craziest things in the world. Watch social media because there are some people out there, their whole goal is to be as negative and as insanely mean as they could possibly be uh, in, in efforts to get some kind of rise in reaction out of the, the other wrestling fans, the wrestlers, the companies, whatever they can do. And they actually see it as like a badge of honor if they get blocked by somebody. Um, and the one thing that I've just done, like I said, I, whether it's kind of the duality of me being Lance Archer, the murdered off monster and telling everybody they're going to die or professing my faith in God. Um, I try to keep both sides positive and I just kind of use mine as a positive platform and, you know, a chance to promote myself because it's one of those things. I don't understand why a lot of lot more wrestlers, especially on the independent level, don't just over promote themselves because people miss a lot of what happens on social media unless you just keep saying it over and over and over. Um, and then the, as far as the negativity is concerned, I mean, I've, I've had negative reactions my entire career and now that social media is there and people could say stupid, snarky little things. I've just learned, I, I just don't respond to them. You know, I, I sometimes somebody will say something and it'll kind of get me hot and then I'll go look at their Twitter page and they'll have 13 followers. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, o- the only, the only validation they're going to get is if I actually respond to them. If I say absolutely nothing to them, nobody's going to pay attention or notice that they even said anything negative to me. So I just, I avoid those people. I just don't say anything. I don't even take the time to block them. I just ignore them, you know, and if people actually take the time to say cool, positive things, I'll either respond to them or I'll take the time to like what they said, you know, about me or whatever the situation is, you know, and try to give them that positive reinforcement for being a positive force, you know, on the social media, which most of social media, whether you're talking wrestling or entertainment or politics or whatever you want to talk about is just people being the nastiest they can possibly be. And it's kind of sad in that aspect. So I just try to be positive and focus on the people who are being positive and try to enjoy that aspect of it. Bully, he gets it, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's crazy. Lance, it's so great to hear because it's like it's refreshing to hear a wrestler who is in charge of their social media as opposed to letting their social media be in charge of them. Because I look at social media as a drug, and some people can't handle their high. You seem to have it in check, uh, and and it's definitely great to hear. It's refreshing to hear. And on a personal level, brother, I've known you for a long time. I'm very happy for all your success. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate all the stuff and the time and help that you gave me, man, back in TNA. You were such a cool cat, you know, and you helped me and Jimmy and whatever the situation was so many different times. So I really appreciate that, brother. My Lance, pleasure. Lance Archer, again, your IWGP United States champion. And, and Lance, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate you coming on. We had to have you on this week. This is a huge accomplishment and glad you gave us the time. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I hope everybody will come out to San Jose and Los Angeles and watch me kill them all. I love it. I love it. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.